0: welcome to Reframe Your Life. I'm Joanne Gibson. And I'm Sandy Reynolds. Together, we bring you our podcast for women who want to live and lead their lives thoughtfully and with
1: intention. On our episodes, we explore diverse topics relevant to all areas of our lives. Hi, Life Reframers, and here we are at episode number two of our writing podcast our writing our own stories podcast with patty m hall we've got to add the m in just in case you think it's someone else right patty absolutely (laughs) (laughs) and sandy
0: sandy a reynolds let's just be clear (laughs)
1: Okay, so since we're going down that line, and this is actually related to storytelling, I don't have a middle name. So I'm just Joanne Gibson. My parents chose not to give me a middle name, much to the teacher's disgust when she said, but everyone gets a middle name.
2: (laughs) I didn't have one. Ooh, the memoir begins now. (laughs)
1: So we are here today. Our last episode that was published two weeks ago was all about our fears, the fears that we have that we should overcome before, well, in order to write our story. And I know I spoke about being an effective writer, being a good quality writer. And Sandy, what were you talking about around your fears at that time? Oh,
0: I think one of my fears was how much of a story to tell like how how to protect the people you love even though they behaved very poorly earlier <laughs> in your life
1: of course see i wouldn't worry about that bit but sandy does so i'm a feeler you <laughs> screwed you screwed me
0: over and i still care what you think <laughs> <laughs>
1: issues that we bring up in our story so today patty is going to actually turn the tides and when we were speaking to her before i think there was a little bit of an evil laugh that she had so she's going to coach us through the process so patty
2: okay can i roll
1: you can roll. I think we covered most of the fears, right?
2: Yeah, and and what we didn't, I think, will probably crop up again. So we mm. spoke about barriers, and barriers, what we were really trying to get at was, what stops you from picking up the pen? Like, quite literally, why, when you have the beautiful notebook and the lovely pen, why don't you just start pouring it on the page? And that continues to be a problem as you work through writing. It's not just the issue on the first page. So what I thought I would work on with you guys today is some of the tools that I've developed working with other people and certainly working on my own books, where if you run out of steam, if you don't know what to write next, if you don't know where to go, what kind of tools can you keep at your disposal to have stuff in the archive to pull from? So this is what I call the pre-writing phase, and really because we're doing this on a podcast, there's no way for us to really do the writing phase together, but these are all the pre-writing phases to get you to the point where you feel like you can start and maybe even take a start. So you two, as my, uh, as my sample coaching victims, are, <laughs> are going to be very forthcoming today. And you're going to talk about uh, all kinds of things that you didn't expect to. because we're going to, dive, we're going to dive into some hypotheticals that if you were going to write a book about your life, if you were going to write a memoir, so put yourself into the mental space, I want you to think about what that book would have to contain In order for you to feel like you got your story told. So for each of you, I know that that would be a very different book. And it's an overstatement, obviously, that each memoir is unique. But so is the chunk of your life that you decide to write about. And hearkening back to part one of the series that we're doing was the question, I think, Joanne, that you asked about what makes a memoir and an autobiography different. One of the most unique things about that is that a memoir is a piece of your life. It's actually a story told from start to finish that is from a part of your life that you can get into a book-sized sort of um space so it might be and as I've mentioned about my own story it might be in a really intense 18 month period that you reflect back on 10 years later it might be a 14 year period that you encapsulate in uh, a one year of analysis where you go and you travel and you make sense of your life but for each person in each book that's going to be different and in order to talk about the memories that are going to be essential to our story. We have to go to those periods of time. Now, for some people, it's three months ago. And, you know, God bless them if they can live a story three months ago and be able to write about it, you know, that that quickly later. But that isn't typical. So for you guys, what I'm hoping to do now is to turn the table back to you and say, first of all, in developing what we're going to call a master scene list or a memory list, What sorts of memories, what pieces of time in your life do you feel would be absolutely essential to get on the page in order to convey the story that you have in mind? And I don't know who might want to jump into that. And I know that it also opens up talking a little bit publicly about what you might want your story to contain. And I encourage you to be exciting and inventive here. If one of you has, you know, if one of you has some fantasy you want to out about, you know, going into <laughs> Parliament or your um, your Olympic history, the fact that you don't happen to be at the Olympics now, but you're going next time. <laughs> if there's anything that you want to throw in about the Australian Outback, for example, <laughs> Or perhaps even Western Canada, this would be the time to entertain the listeners. So, whoever wants to start, if you aren't even sure what you would write about, what memories immediately come to you that you think would make for good story?
1: Travelling the world, living in different countries
2: mm-hmm.
1: across the world, which... Can you give us examples? So, moving, you know... the. I I distinctly remember planning to move to England with Ashley and at that time we weren't married. We'd been living together for maybe a couple of years. We'd done a ton of research and it was kind of like our first thing you do together as a couple. This is really going to be it. And And I remember sitting down with him and saying, but what if one of us doesn't like it? Right, do you, you, know, remember,
2: I, you remember sort of that pivotal conversation?
1: Yeah, yeah. I had read a lot about how travelling changes you and gives you a different outlook on life. And and I was like, well, what if one of us likes it and one of us doesn't and then we split up? <laughs> that was all that was on my mind.
2: Right. I mean, it, I think that's really significant. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very significant memory. So yeah. if you, and um, how did that all roll out? What well, I, did you – You obviously decided to go ahead and to try it, to try the traveling and the relationship, clearly.
1: Yes, yeah. (laughs) So we agreed. He, he, He said, well, let's make an agreement that if one of us doesn't like it, we'll come back. We'll keep the conversation, keep the communication going. And I think that's probably why we communicate very well and we do communicate very well. So... We kind of agreed, and that was, what, in our mid-late 20s.
2: So that was a memory around one move, England in particular. Now, do you have memories around other moves that are distinct? I mean, obviously, you're in Canada now. So what other major moves have you had in your memory history?
1: Yeah, so coming to Canada, um, you know, that wasn't – that was – I think we'd hit the five-year mark in England, and we were kind of, like, excited for a new adventure. So (laughs) – that move was pretty okay. It was actually when we did move and we were missing out on a friend's wedding in England. Actually, they were getting married in Italy and a story that I've kind of developed from my experience that I share to people is the first six months is the hardest. Like I've found the first six months the hardest because you're mm-hmm. trying to find new friends and you're just got to go through all that new stuff again. Within six months of us moving, um, and we knew our friends were getting married, but we, we just said we couldn't go because we were moving and and so we decided – two weeks before, we were just so not happy that we decided we were going to the wedding. So ah. we went to work and said, can we have next week off? And they said, yep. And so we literally flew for six days and went to the wedding. And I would say that was probably one of the best things we did because it kind of got us to reconnect, mm-hmm. uh, you know, check in and then go, okay, yeah, everything's still the same. We're good. You know, we can go back to Canada now <laughs> and we can go back to Calgary and we can go back to continuing to explore.
2: Right. Has there been sort of an epiphany moment or, I guess, a series of epiphanies that you have made that have been, okay? I'm ready for the next move? I mean, for you, can you actually, um, in your memory list, would you have a series of moments or events or times where one of you looked at the other or maybe you were just speaking to yourself and said, "Okay, I've had it. This is not the place anymore. Um, sort of I keep thinking for people that do this there must be both the push pull push and the pull factors right so I'm wondering you must have a series of memories of times when decisions are about to be made
1: yeah well it's funny because with our first our first couple we weren't we weren't looking to move to Canada it just an opportunity arose we weren't looking to move to Ontario from Alberta but an opportunity arose And that was the first, like, five years and then an opportunity arose six years later to move here. So I used to joke we expire every five to six years. (laughs) So it's funny that you say that now because we moved here in 2012 Uh and literally, like, we're starting to have the conversation, okay, should we think about moving back to Australia at some point? And I think we get this, like, five or six-year itch of, okay, we've explored everything we need to explore, (laughs) you know, like, right You're starting to get same old same old maybe I don't know I'm not telling I'm not saying we're moving tomorrow or anything but it was very fascinating to me because the other two moves that we did after a five or six year period was because an opportunity arose we, we weren't really thinking about it that's a theme so we definitely take the opportunities when they arise and I think it's because we don't know what you don't know so we're too scared of missing out on exploring right. new stuff
2: Right, and would you say then that if you were going to write a book about your life that this would be the feature of your life that would be most compelling for you I mean is that is that what you hear from people and you think yourself is this something yeah I'd really like to write a book about what the last you know 20 years have been like about every five or six years we relocate and what that's been like for us is that sort of book tellable interesting to you does that sound like something you might want to do
1: well it's it's funny, Patty, because when we started out on this journey with with you and and Sandy and I've been on many hikes talking about books, I've always kind of led to I want to write a book for women who are questioning whether they should have children or not. Right. right? Because that's my story. That's my society pressure to have kids, which I've never, I guess, well, I felt the society pressure. I've always had this travel and exploring and living in different countries thing going on that has right. maybe i don't know been a distraction or whatever so 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 I guess to reframe that it it could be around, yes, what do we get told? we get told we're courageous, we get told we must miss family, uh you know we get told, oh my gosh, what you know what a life and I could never do it. Well, yeah, you could. You know, you've got to take courage and you've got to do this and you've got to do that. So you know, I often say, who knows, if we stayed in Australia in, in the town we were brought up in or, or the town that we met each other in or whatever, we might have had kids, I don't know, but we were just so busy exploring and going on all these adventures that we just we were waiting for this physical thing mm-hmm. to happen and, and it never happened to either of us. And I think – right. Through the process, because we were just learning about the world and the countries and how people live and what's important and stuff like that.
2: Well, and I think that you're really getting at multiple themes that could run through a memoir for you because you've made a lot of other decisions that I'm sure have gone against what you considered the conventions of family and the time and the place where you grew up and whatever. Um, cultural pressure you may have felt that there were, and there is so much room and importance for memoirs that inspire the rest of us to reframe our thinking around what's expected of us. And you've, you've hit on a number of those. So that sort of puts a potential book for you into a thematic area of celebration, inspiration, and kind of, uh, kind of touches on some of the coaching themes that I suspect come up for you in the work that you do about walking an individual path. And while it's difficult, how to sustain the energy around that. And um, I could name many memoirs that I would say have those themes running through them. And and I think that this is worth exploring for you. And I'm going Mm. to nag you a little bit before we get to the end of the episode to start um, flagging some of these memories that maybe the, at the beginning of the next episode will percolate up for you, because when you sit on this for a couple of weeks, I think what you might think of is, like the con- the conversation you and Ash had before you were going to England, I suspect that you could come up with sort of 20 or 30 um events like that, that you could then string together. I mean, there would be conversations with parents explaining that no, yes. I really don't want that life or or with a, a sibling or a best friend, someone that you're leaving uh, when your path is about to diverge, who when someone may or may not be ready to see this happen, and the trigger points and these epiphanies for what makes you brave enough to do it, these stepping off points where you do stand at the edge of the cliff and you say, let's do it, and and I'd love to see you consider, you know, exploring how it might have turned out had you not chosen a partner who shared this, who had this sort of kinship with you about about exploring the world this way. And I mean, so much of it is keeping the partnership intact while you do everything else that you do. And I personally would love to see you explore some of that. So my challenge to throw back to you before I, you know, beat Sandy down on her story a little <laughs> is that is to consider now what would have to be on your memory list to tell this really fulsome story. And then when I do come back to you, we're going to talk about what kind of time period are we talking about? Sort of what would be those central years that we would be looking at in order to grab some of this thematic area? Well we have to go back to when you were 18? Would we be going to, you know, sort of what would that time period be where you feel like you could grab enough material that you could tell a good story. So those are the things for
1: you to kind of bear in mind. You've hit on some themes that I hadn't thought about. And you're right, many courageous conversations that have had to have with mm-hmm. many people. And and I guess the reason I kept thinking, oh, I'll write a book to help help women realize that there's more than one path, is because that's what I was looking for when I was in my late 30s when I was trying to go. Okay, what is your decision? Excellent around yeah. around this, and I couldn't find much to be honest at that point. Mm-hmm. But what you've just said to me takes my memories to telling family we're going to get married without having any family with with us, and like right. all of this other stuff. So lots of non-conventional, non-traditional. Right. Sorry. Um, Conversations that we've had to have that Ashley and I, as a unit have had to be had to have been okay with so yeah
2: well yeah, and I think there's a lot a lot more room to explore there and mm, okay. you see how you see how with the coaching and the sort of tugging at this, how it does take your memories to a place where you look at them as material rather yes. than as just experiences, because you realize that in their retelling, you're actually conveying a scene to someone. You're conveying an experience that they can then sort of figure out for themselves how it would feel if they were in it. And that's the kind of stuff we're trying to mine for. Mm, So you've got to make a memory list. So start note-taking. Okay. (laughs) Sandy A. Reynolds. So back to you. And I know that you've now had all the, the benefit of time to think about this, about what, what would your book be about? What would you want to focus on? And sort of what what memories do you immediately go to where you would say, I would have to talk about these things in order to feel like I had told my story
0: or the story that is
2: coming up for you right now?
0: Okay, so it's interesting listening to Joanne's story, because I feel like I'm almost the flip of her story in some ways, which mm-hmm. is... Um, I don't know. It's probably why we we do well together on the podcast Mm -hmm. because we are different personalities. I think that my um, story is well one story that would have to be in it for me because it was just I think it defined a lot of my life was being sexually abused as a child. And so I you know, I have no problem sharing that on our podcast because it's the reality for far too many women. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I think the, uh, it was my grandfather and it was, it went on for many years in my childhood until I finally was strong enough and at it, uh, angry enough to confront him and it stopped. And I think in my story that there's been a little bit of a theme around, around that, around being victimized and kind of pushed until I snap. So okay. that um, with my grandfather, there was, uh, yeah, definitely that has to be in my story because I just think it was formative in my childhood for me and and ha- who I was and kind of how I felt about the world in general, that it wasn't a safe place and you couldn't trust people, especially men.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Is there anything that you feel like that has connected to in a latter portion of your life that is on the theme. And I'll just sort of quote this back to you. You said you tend to accept being victimized until you snap. So are there other ways that, that either you've been diametrically different than that because of your experience, or are there ways that you've seen that in other parts of your life later on that you have really had to work to sort of break your own mold?
0: Yeah, so I think we talk a lot about this, about or we refer to this on Reframe Your Life about my thing about needing to be liked. So within abuse systems, family systems, there is, it's usually, there's a reason why people don't come out and say to their parents I was abused. There's usually a lot of other stuff going on that creates that system. Mm -hmm. And so in my home, it was all about uh, my parents were very unhappy in their marriage. So I think as a child, I learned to be a peacemaker and that it was easier to just deal with things on my own and not say anything and not rock the boat because it would create more problems. And so Oddly enough, in my early 20s, I started going to church and got very involved in church. And I think this is a continuation of the story, but maybe you can tell me if you see a theme there. Mm-hmm. I end up in a church system that is very similar in that it's very – they're often very dysfunctional. And people are can be very abusive, especially towards women. Women can be really held down and – they, there also is that element of trying to keep the peace and not really going against the system because the whole thing could implode or there's the feeling of it that it could implode. So right. until I absolutely lost my mind and left it, you know, like snapped. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I do. I don't know. It feels like therapy, but <laughs> holy right story.
2: I mean. <laughs> so then if we were going to drill down into memories so in the same way that joanne was able to drill down to a couple of more than i'm sure many conversations but the one that she illustrated about having that conversation with ashley saying like what if it doesn't work what will we do are there a few conversations or experiences like that where you can remember maybe these conversations i'm trying to tug at here are the ones where you did snap or maybe the, there are the one there are conversations where you can actually remember yourself acquiescing, where you can remember saying, I'm just going to keep the peace. I'm offended by this. Say, you know, something between your parents or something that you would have liked to have raised with your parents, but you said to yourself, no, there's enough unhappiness in this home. It's not going to be me that breaks the peace. Can you go to memories like that that you would include in your book?
0: Yes. Yeah, so I can okay. remember, well, I don't you tell me i so i have a memory when you said that that came to mind of my mom was had a therapist and i phoned him and told him about the abuse and okay. um and asked and told him that i wanted to confront my mother with this i was probably around 18 or 19 at that point and he said to me don't because it won't it won't have the impact you're hoping for in your family your family couldn't will implode it won't be able to handle that and so that I didn't ever say anything that kind of shut that down for me which is an interesting story now that I think about it, powerful story yeah yeah
2: Yeah. where you were actually counseled and counseled by a man in particular and a (laughs) professional yeah who had knowledge of your family unit to say Imagine the pressure, regardless of your age, to say, you know, this isn't going to achieve what you want it to, as if that was an accusation. And then also to say, your family can't survive this. So imagine the blame had you decided to reveal because you personally felt compelled to. I mean, that it prevented you from doing something that you emotionally really needed to. Right. And that is an incredibly useful scene to... Convey so much about you when it does get to the point of memoir. Then I would ask, do you also have memories that pop to mind of when you said, screw it, and you snapped? Yes. you, said. Yeah. So, you so your memory list might have multiple illustrations of times where you felt like you were the peacemaker times where you were putting up and still allowing to yourself to be victimized, whether that was in your early life or your later life. But your memories are also going to have these times where you sought recompense for yourself, where you said, enough of this dysfunction, I'm going to look after myself. And there's where the themes for a memoir with your story start to have a coalescence with some of Joanne's, right? Mm-hmm. Where the our paths, however we come to them, are the relatable aspects of memoir. So I would be just as likely to want to read either one of your books because I'm looking for the inspiration to walk my most unique and authentic Mm -hmm. path. And each of you has come to yours through a journey of your own. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Now you talk about, Sandy, the ways that you've seen things in your life that have either caused you to act the same way Or for some period of time, have you reminded you, just keep the peace. This is my role. This is how I want to be. I'm wondering if you could see a beginning and an end for a book. Like, where would your, as we're starting to talk about timeline, I throw this back and I'm going to pop back over to Joanne. But again, the asking, where would you start in terms of memories and Where would you kind of bring an ending to your book? How long a period of time do you get a feeling that your book would cover if we were going to look at a timeline? And you might want to percolate on that. And I'm Mm. hoping that Joanne's given it some thought, too, so I can pop back over to her. But before I leave you, Sandy, any other thoughts before I go go over and talk to Joanne about the timeline of her experiences?
0: about 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 my any, story
2: yeah anything mm. about this whole mining for memories and I mean did they come up did they come up easily for you like yes. now do you start do you yes. start thinking okay I really do uh, and are you surprised or not surprised at how the memories start to come when you when you talk about them
0: I don't think I'm surprised. I think I've always been a journaler. So I've always written down things and reflected a lot on what's happened in my life. So I think that I do have a lot of memories. I've always (laughs) been surprised about like, I don't have memories earlier than about six years old. So there's like, I don't have a lot of really young memories, like maybe five. So I don't know. I don't know about memory in that way. But um, I know, I think I have lots of memories and um, lots of things that have kind of stuck with me over the years. So I think I'm good Mm -hmm. for that.
2: And while we're on it, one of the one of the barriers that came up last time, and while we're here, let's just make um, a compassionate note of it. And Sandy, thank you for sharing pieces of your story that I'm sure are difficult to tell, or certainly that other people will still be struggling to tell publicly about their own lives. But this tender territory around pieces of our story that we've always hesitated to talk about, and what I really want to point out here is the uniting factor of Joanne has some really tender experiences that while we wouldn't characterize in the same way, you know, there are heartbreaking moments when, you know, being married without family and breaking hearts of people who you had to tell you were leaving or who you said, no, mom and dad, that's not what I want for my life. If that happened and these departures that we make from what might be expected, there's a real community in it when you start to write your story and Mm -hmm. is These we each have difficult aspects of our story that we've come to terms with by the time we're ready to write. And this tender territory around your own, you know, the abuse in your past and your role as peacemaker and unhappiness in your family home, those are things that we come to the right time to talk about. And it does sound like right timing. And what I also like seeing here is that Joanne, in a way, is looking at her own story as more tellable now because the three of us are sitting here sharing our own paths and it also becomes easier to see how hey that's true I did have to do xyz to get to the place where I'm in now regardless of abuse in our past or a medical history in my situation or one where you've had to stray from convention and from societal and cultural norms what I really like that we're demonstrating here is how compelling each of our stories is and how much more tellable each of our stories becomes just because we're sharing them
0: mm-hmm so that's great and
2: and the so popping back to how much time physical years your your book might include so I know Sandy that we're going to come back to yours because you said you know there's sort of there's some childhood stuff and then there is some you know sort of current stuff but Joanne where do you feel like if you were jumping in and you were writing this book and throwing some title down like you know 20 years abroad or something like that. Mm. Uh, 20 years abroad is actually a cute play on words. Um, <laughs> you, can have, you can use that if you want. Yeah. But if you were going to do that now that we've started to dig in. where Where would you sort of go back to to start to tell your story? Where in your life would you go back to? How old would you be when you might start to show signs of wanting to diverge from the conventional path?
1: yeah i i think it literally would be the around a year or so before we left so tomorrow is uh so tomorrow will obviously be two weeks time when we publish this but tomorrow is actually the 17th uh year anniversary of us leaving australia oh okay Mm. we had conversations a good two years before we left and that's when it first kind of came an idea hey should we should we travel overseas and i was studying at the time and my husband being the good studious honors person that he is he said well <laughs> we can't go until you finish so mm-hmm. we had two more years to go so then um, so yeah i was what 25 i guess 26 so we'd be yeah talking about mm-hmm. getting up to 20 years
2: yeah. But were there times before that that you think you might end up flashing back to, for example, that, say, in secondary school, or a time in your life where you said, like, you know, you were at maybe a cousin's wedding, or your parents talked about, you know, the day you'd get married and have 14 children and live on a farm, and you sort of said, no, no, that just isn't sitting well with me. Uh, Were there can you think of memories in particular you might flash back to that kind of predicted that something different was coming for you?
1: Uh, you know, it's interesting, Patty, because that was one of my struggles. I didn't know either way. Like it just never really came up. However, reflecting on it as I have over the last few years, when I was in my early 20s, tw- like twenty, twenty one, twenty two, I had some friends who had kids Mm-hmm. so I, I experienced responsibility. 20-year-old wanting to go out and have a good time and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I experienced part of that responsibility. And, like, honestly, when Ash and I met, we didn't even have the conversation, and I think I just assumed we would just be like traditional marriages and couples that we just, we'll just just have kids when the, when the time is right kind of thing. So I never had, you know, I meet some friends who, know right away, like, no. And so that was my struggle. That was okay. my struggle, my personal struggle. Do I or don't I? Do I, don't. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Do I, or don't. Well, I'm selfish. And so my story from young age is you're selfish.
2: Okay. Right? Were you told, told you're that?
1: Selfish. You oh, were, yeah. You,
2: and you were told that. And how young would you have been, say, when you have memories of that kind of judgment?
1: Oh, uh, funny story. When I was in grade three, I wanted my mum, and she, was, she used to work at school and she was away on a camp and she was coming back that day. So I sat under a desk until she came back and I just mm-hmm. refused to get out. And I wasn't told I was selfish at that point, but but that's that would be as you were asking questions, that would be a mm-hmm. memory of no, this is this is what I want to do and it doesn't matter what anyone else kind of says okay. I should, should or shouldn't do. Selfish probably in my teen. Probably my dad. I started earning I had my first job at the age of twelve or thirteen, you know. Mm-hmm. It was probably illegal or something, I don't know. But you know, <laughs> work, working in a supermarket. And doing stock take and earning money. And, yeah. Uh, and then being able to buy what I want. I remember my dad saying, earning money has made you selfish. You can now do whatever you want to do and we can't tell you what to do with your money kind of thing.
2: So, ah, okay. how it implanted for you right and those those themes start to come up so I mean what and how I drag this back into memoir content for us is that you see how flashbacks to moments that were either indicative that a change was coming or where pieces of self-judgment or pieces of self-awareness were planted in your psyche that made what came later make sense And those are exactly the kinds of memories that we're mining for. And see how naturally they come up when I ask you these kooky questions like, did you you ever think about this? And you're thinking, wait a minute, yes. There were times where where selfishness was thrown around, but where you saw it as
1: independence. Yeah, because as we're sitting here, for all our other courageous decisions, that, and I call them courageous decisions, leave the country, you know, travel across the country, get married without family, immediate family there. People could, I mean, they could be viewed as selfish, I guess. My thought process, because there was very, there were very logical connections, well, mm-hmm. you know, we've just moved to England and... Uh, you know, we don't want to put the pressure on our brothers to have to travel to England to to watch us get married and we actually can't afford to go back to Australia to get married because we literally just got jobs and we don't want to wait. You know, like there was kind of logical reasons. But the having a child thing, that's what got me stuck for a long time. Well, you're selfish if you don't. There's no other good logical reason not to have one except that, you're selfish and you just want to yeah. live this life that you want to live. You know?
2: and, I, and I'd love for you to jump in on that, to tie it back to your reframe because here's an enormous thing that you are still reframing for yourself. So you do show with great empathy for yourself and everyone else who's experienced this kind of um, this kind of ginormous um, decision that sort of stays with them their entire life Um, not unlike my my choice to divorce and some other radical choices that we each make but um, what I think your listeners will really get value out of is hearing you say that some stories don't have an end because your work is ongoing
1: absolutely and I mean I love kids I don't not love kids I love seeing my neighbor's kids and connecting with my friends kids and my nephews and things like that and when our friends say well you're lucky I can't do that right now or you know I have to wait till my kids 12 or 13 to get my life back or whatever they you know they say they say that's their words hmm you know, I just say no. You know what? We all make choices, and there's no right choices, and there's no wrong choices. Every choice has positives. Every choice has what you might perceive as negatives. And mm-hmm. yeah, I freaking love my life. <laughs> 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 I do. I love. I love my life. Don't know what tomorrow's going to bring in terms of the next year, the next five years, the next whatever, because that's literally how we've we've lived our life. Uh, um, yes. Yes. So. 36 to 40 like okay okay they're going around in circles and they're going around in circles and that's when I was seeking okay mm-hmm. what what can I find and so I, f- I found Cameron Diaz and <laughs> <laughs> you know and I found a, a website it was very plain it was very simple and it just reframed it reframed the word being child less mm-hmm. to child free
0: okay Oh, I and, like that. Uh,
1: I really yeah, like that. Right. And so because being childless make, just kept feeding myself, you know, my selfish yes. or you're less than, you haven't got, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, um, you know, this website said, like, you're free from children. It doesn't mean it's better or worse or whatever. It just it means you, you don't have children that you have to take into consideration when you're making decisions in your life or whatever so
2: right so yeah and there's a tremendous reframe right there in the language alone isn't there oh. but, but there you are in you know you're your late 30s and you're still trying to make sense of it and so what oh I thought yeah I, I love what we've added to your memory list here you know you talked about um then there are the conversations I'm sure that you were having with people who had children at that point yes then there's this time where you're trying you're, you're looking for sort of a, a place to anchor your beliefs and to get out of this ridicule that you are going around in your own mind must have been worse than anything you heard from anyone else. And you do, you find the website and then you start to embrace it. And sooner or later, you have to face decisions like this because you're coming to the end of being able to make them, right? And I don't mean just the biological clock thing. Yeah, I mean, sooner or later, you know that you are wearing yourself down with a decision that really you made a long time ago. And I think that getting those into your mind list. So then we find literally that we're talking about a 10 to 15 year period of your life that your book would encapsulate where you start to... you could almost open your book with we're going to move to England, you know, you've met Ashley and you're talking about the relationship and the adventurism but meanwhile you're also still dealing with the very prevalent expectation that people your age who are married have children and those are those years, aren't they? The so-called childbearing years were also the years where you guys set down the lifestyle that you have now come to enjoy so much and I think the the way that those overlap with one another would be a really exciting way to tell a story. Yeah. You hear that conversation a lot in much more public situations than one would expect. And that's a really intimate decision to be out there for public viewing. And that begs to be written about because I don't know. First of all, I don't know a woman who hasn't um, had had misgivings about it I certainly did and I had I didn't know whether I would want children for myself if I did not have the partner that I did I may not have had children but I certainly knew that I wanted to have children with him and those but that was that was very public conversation when we were in our 20s about whether or not there was this natural, this so-called natural progression, which, you know, I completely can't believe in now, but this so-called natural progression of we meet, we marry, and we grow this family. And you had a lot of reason to believe that that wasn't sitting well with you. And I really Mm -hmm. hope that you consider showing us the conflict that you had both within yourself And in your memories, the conflict that you had to encounter outside of it, sort of in your immediate life. I mean, just the conversations with your brother and the conversations with your mother immediately tell me this is really rich stuff for a memoir. Mm -hmm. And the period of time that I would then, if we were building a timeline for you, I would have you go back to sort of your university days. And when or I would have you consider when you first met Ashley, when you were in school and those times where you already knew that there were people your age who had kids, but you just really didn't see that in the cards for you yet. And then mm-hmm. that continued to be the way you felt for 20 years until you, in a way, released yourself from this decision and said, I will be child free because that is what I am. So I'm naming it. And it's been an ongoing reframe for you, hasn't it?
1: Oh, oh, totally.
2: I do happen to have women in my life who have made it so evident to me that they're just not having kids. And I think, well, what's for me to think my kids will have kids? You know, I don't even know if they have any interest in it. I don't even know if they have an interest in being in a relationship. So that I've been been really fortunate that way that I've sort of had myself drawn and quartered by uh, my friends who have chosen not to have um, children of their own. Um, that I I no longer have this expectation that this is what other people will do. But I'm telling you, that does not, I am not normal in that way. So <laughs> there are, um, these are things that are going to take a lot more generations than ours to break down yes. these so, the social constructs, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
2: But I love that um, you immediately were getting that. Oh yeah. I remember this conversation. Oh yeah. And I remember this conversation. And that's exactly now what I'm talking about with the memory list. And early on in coaching, you start with this where I, was, I will tug at you and tug at you to get these memories, and at first you don't see the connections, but then once the connections start to appear, and I think in the last episode I used the metaphor of this bowl of fish hooks, where you tug at one and a whole bunch of other ones come with it, and, you know, if you, you tug at just the conversation with you and your brother, you'll think of six others, and then you'll think of something he said to you when he had children, and you'll think of something that Ashley's brother said to him when he had children, and all on goes this lovely string of storytelling that becomes a beautiful memoir. And you don't always have to see it coming, but the mining for memories in this pre-writing phase is exactly what will convince you I've got enough stuff and I've got good stuff and I'm I'm ready to start writing. And I already get this feeling like you're looking at the whole... The whole option of considering a story in another way than when you and I first spoke, say back, yeah. you know, a couple of months ago, because you you look at your story now as a composite of your experiences, and you start to see, hey, you know what? A young person in their twenties could really benefit from hearing how I survived going through that tough conversation with my parents, and mm-hmm. maybe even hearing how supportive ultimately your mother was of your decision. And uh, there's there's a, a lot of there's a lot of meat for a memoir just in the memories that. You're Pulling out today, so I love to see it when it works, which immediately puts all the pressure back on on Sandy. <laughs> yes. So, so what we what I found when Joanne was talking is where her memories were. Now, although there will always be flashbacks that will make things rich, we you'll you know there were moments where she'll flash back to grade three being under the desk, which is absolutely adorable, and moments where you know she had her first job, and her father said, "Oh, you've got money now, so now you're independent," but. So although there were flashbacks, what we were really talking about in the intense decision-making part of her life where she was really kind of shoveling this path, to use the Canadian winter metaphor, Joanne was kind of shoveling this trough in the snow for herself of how she was going to walk a different life than maybe those around her in the town she grew up in and the family that she had had walked. But for you, I'm getting the idea that we're looking at a much longer span of time because you said and just to go back to it as you felt like a foundational experience for you was this childhood abuse so I wonder if we were looking at your timeline would we go back to those years or would you go maybe to a, a be sense of a beginning of a story for you would it be more when you stood up for yourself Would that be where you feel like it started? And then we could do other pieces as flashback for you as well. Where do you feel like your sort of beginning is, Sandy?
0: So at one point, I I tend to think thematically about things anyway. So I had at one point thought about writing my story and I had thought about this word enough Mm -hmm. and how at first I thought it was kind of getting to enough, like feeling like I was enough and... Um, but also having this line, like you said, where it's, um, where I stood up for myself, where I said enough, I won't Mm -hmm. take it anymore. Like, and so I think starting it with the very first time I told my grandfather, if he touched me again, I would kill him or something. Okay. Very, um, very nice like that. But it was like, it was just, I had snapped. I was, I think I was about 12 and I, I just snapped. And it was like, enough. Okay. And um, I think that, you know, in my life, it's about um, getting to that point Mm -hmm. immediately. Like, so now, and, you know, I think Joanne's been a great help with me in that journey where it's like getting like faster and faster to recognizing, "I, I don't have to tolerate this. Like, right. It's enough. Like that's I'm done. So I think that could be sort of starting with those moments of um, how I've I've learned to kind of be an advocate in some ways for myself.
2: And what sort of age or, or time, were you a teenager then? I don't know if you mentioned exactly when you sort of called out
0: and said enough already. I think, when, I, well, I, rem- okay, so this is, I don't even know how much memory to share here. I remember I was just starting to develop and he made a comment about my, my developing breasts and okay. I said enough. Oh, puberty. That's enough. Okay. So I'm guessing 12 around okay. there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And I think
2: that that too would lead into your teens where, It couldn't have been an easy thing for you to, in your family, to, you know, call out enough, because it sounds to me like if you were going to stand up against one experience as an advocate, you were going to stand up against other experiences. You know, you mentioned that you felt like the peacemaker between your parents. So I'm wondering if as you moved into your teens, do you have memories of saying figuratively or literally enough in terms of how you were being treated in your household in your family dynamic?
0: Yes, and I think one of the major ones was moving out of the house when I was 7 I think 17 or just about to turn 18 where I just said I can't live in this like it's I've had enough living okay. with some of the stuff that was going on in my family I just couldn't take it anymore. So um right. I chose like basically right out of high school to move out on my own. So um I think that would be another place. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yep, I, I think that's a, that's an excellent memory. That couldn't have been an easy time in the dynamic with your parents. So I suspect you've got lots of memories of confrontations
0: there that were pretty challenging. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it, I have lots of those stories because I, I had this learned behavior of putting up with stuff um, yes. because I didn't want to rock the boat. And then, you know, it took a long time in my adult life to – learn that I, it was okay. Like I wasn't responsible for how other people reacted.
2: Ah, yes, there it is. And can you jump ahead then and say sort of how you have seen that play out later in your life? You mentioned, you know, finding yourself in Um, systems you mentioned specifically in religious systems Mm -hmm. or church systems that were equally dysfunctional to you know familial situations where women could also be held down where you had to get to the point where you declared enough with that as well where would that bring you to if you were going to plot your life timeline
0: (laughs) probably till right until about eight years ago yeah well i think joanne's probably laughing because we probably have this conversation (laughs) on occasion where, you know, I'll be in a situation and she'll be like, you just got to say enough. Like, just get out of that. Like, stop. Oh, Joanne. We all
2: need more Joanne in our
0: life, don't we? I know. I play a role in her life too.
1: Yes, exactly. It's It's easier to challenge other people around. And, uh, and challenge I mean in a uh, nice friend challenge That's one of our words we use for each other but yes it's easy to see to see other people's patterns in life right it is it's easy it to is. see other people's patterns and um, <laughs> and, and, when them, yeah,
0: exactly. and when you see them Yeah exactly and I would say Joanne, you probably know I get there a lot faster now than I used to. I used oh, to yeah. stay for years in a situation and Mm -hmm. uh, that I wasn't happy in and and then I would just you know it it looks like I suddenly decide to sever everything but really I I it was should have happened like 15 years ago so I think I've gotten there faster (laughs) so I would say um I would say I could end my story with leaving the church The, the last formal like church membership I was in like that was about eight years ago
2: Okay, and I think that makes great sense about leaving formal church membership, because then you can put a memory on that, can't you? Mm. And the reason that I keep tugging at the memories is, and I'll say it now because as we move into sort of wrapping this one up and going into Mm. the next episode, it's about what we do with these memories. The memories are the meat of the memoir. So let's just take Sandy's example, because we're sitting on top of it now, of you know we've got a a puberty example and then we've got a time in your teens where you just said like I can't live in this environment anymore which was about a whole lot more than wanting to be under not wanting to be under your parents roof it was about independence it was about your teen years it was about wanting to guide your own life and who knows what else it was about but I know you'll tell us <laughs> and then getting to formally leaving an organized church and So during that period of time, what we're going to see is we're going to see how your patterns repeated themselves by you reflecting on opportunities you had to say enough and you didn't. And that becomes the meat of a memoir that everyone sees themselves in. So I love that you just said what your key learning is now about your life, which I think is something so worthy of conveying in your memoir, certainly in an epilogue, is saying, I get to enough a lot faster now. The, to, to craft your story and then say, I'm still a work in progress, in the same way that Joanne and was speaking about how she's still a work in progress in that she has to turn away those, those thoughts of self-judgment that she used to hear so much of, but she hears a lot less of them now. And isn't that true of certainly every woman's story that we, we talk about and that you talk about on your podcast, about how this steady reframing has actively been a way of moving through your life? No, and illustrating it is really why I'm tugging at your memories now. Because if you can show someone else how you did it, it becomes doable for them. Mm-hmm. I love it.
1: Mm. Even though everyone's stories are unique, Patty, mm. I don't know how much you see common themes. As I'm just listening to Sandy, and then mine, they were based in identity. Yes. mine was selfish, and and Sandy's identity was wrapped up in the ch- in the church system her friends her identity like everything was there so right so they're they're big decisions we had to make in our lives um and as you say because of our personality type once we actually get error, okay now we're mm-hmm. we're done and and we still have to remind ourselves of why we made those decisions
2: um, right and you know i think that the familiarity that we start to feel when we hear each other's stories, even though, I mean, the three of us have very little yeah. in, com- in common, right? But, it, you know, you see these thematic hits like healing and survival. You see resilience and reframing. You see the see- the seeking of identity, the achievement of a sense of authenticity, celebration and inspiration. I mean, one of the things that I can certainly bring to the next episode is some memoirs that have been published that hit themes that are very much what you are each talking about in your story, but are entirely different tales to tell. And that universality, that's what makes good memoir. Mm -hmm. And if we don't, but if we don't have the timeline of what year's, to go digging, which is the the key tool, and then this memory list that I'm going to nag you guys to come back to to episode three, then we don't ever realize we've got enough stuff to tell. And that's where we both kind of, we all started with both of your stories when you had these barriers. So sort of like as a a wrap-up to move through, you know, Sandy sort of raised early on how, like, I don't know where to start. I kind of have inexperience with this. I know the overall theme I want to convey And I know a couple of memories that it's going to take, but I didn't know you know, you should sort of, you were struggling, Sandy, with where to start Mm -hmm. and, and other issues like what if you have to portray other people in a poor light? And how long should this really take? Like, how much energy and time should I really put into this? And now I think you start to have a much better idea that this could take as little or as much time as you want. But when you start to put the beginning and the end of a timeline on the story and you start to say, hey, the memories that take place in those years, those will work to convey my story to somebody, then you start to sort of be able to grab both ends of this book and think of it as a project that you can do rather than this monster that's so intimidating. You never open your notebook. Mm -hmm. And I, I certainly see with Joanne that we've been able to Put a frame on memoir, what your chunk of memoir could be that would be filled with memories of tough decisions you've made, whether those have been against convention or within convention, cultural, personal and familial. And the the themes that I see are are endlessly appealing right you both have had to do this constant reframing you both fully acknowledge that there is still work to be done that the people who come into your life including each other are people who will support you on the journey that you're on and those um and that leads directly back to what your memoir would be about
0: yeah
1: well as long as i make sandy's book and she can make mine because we have this thing we go hiking every fall (laughs) and and now and now we actually say if I'm still going on about this next year you remind me and you challenge me that I'm still going on about this from last year maybe
2: it's time to get it on the page so you can put yeah. it to sleep.
0: exactly well that That's happened we indication. found out we were like talking I'd be like didn't I wasn't I complaining about this last year <laughs> like and I'm I think like, I
1: yeah. should
0: I think it's time to like do something about it, you know, get off the pot here and make a decision. So Well, you know, it
2: kinda leads to, you know, if you write it, you will understand it better. Yeah. Yes. yes.
1: There you go.
2: I'm just putting there putting the plug go. in for the value of journaling <laughs> and the value of journaling leading to memoir, my friends. If you write it, you will understand.
0: Well, and I think, you know, with what we're talking about with um, reframing your life, I think it's so true. You know, we talked last week about it doesn't have to be published. It can just be a process that you go through, I would imagine, for your own healing or for your own um, self-awareness and seeing your own patterns and, and also for celebrating how you've grown through whatever challenges life has thrown at you.
2: I agree entirely, you know the the destination is far less important than the journey. We say it all the time. Um, no one needs to know what their storytelling will become about but having the time at the page to really revisit conversations and moments where we were advocates for ourselves or where we failed to be advocates for ourselves. I mean, those aren't stories that we might sit down on Saturday afternoon with intention to write, but think of the value if we did. Mm-hmm. If we sat down and got it out, and um, to me, that's the the approach to memoir, where we do journal and we mine memories and we dig up um, periods of time in our life. That really directed self-awareness and that self-examination is the great benefit of memoir from the writing standpoint for sure yeah
1: wow that's great that's great this has been an awesome experience patty and you mentioned a little bit of a giveaway to help people start to mine their memories through a timeline worksheet that you're happy to provide
2: that's right. So I'm going to send it over to you too and then hopefully you'll make it available. So I'm going to keep this as simple as possible. A basic word document that is as easy as filling in cells in a table. Running down the left column will be the years that you fill in and that can be the age that you are or the year that you are and some people get so specific that they actually want to have they want to break it into, you know, the the time of the year or the month of the year. Then what you do in another column to the side, there'll be there'll be three columns in total. In the central column, you're going to write what you experienced, what you went through. So that might be, you know, my son, my son, you know, broke his leg. Then there might be the, there might be, you know, in my case, diagnosis. Then there might be surgery. Then there might be my nervous breakdown, you know, the lighthearted ones. (laughs) And then to, but to the right of that is more about what it meant, what it led to, what I felt, what happened after And I might put in that column conversation with doctor at hospital where he told me how sick my son really was. So I'm going to send this over to you and you and your notes can make it available. We'll do it just as a Word document so it is fillable for everybody because I think everybody knows how to or for the most part can open up a Word document and start to fill it out. And then what I'd love to do is when episode, our, ne- our third episode in the series opens, I'd like to have you guys talk about what, how you use the timeline and how that helped you to start to complete sort of this master memory list that we're working on. And we'll each try to work on something from your memory that I can sort of talk you through how you'd write it in a way that would make it interesting enough for a reader who would um, want to pick up your book. That's where we'll go next. Mm, That's great. That's
1: awesome. We will have this on our website, reframeyourlife.ca forward slash resources. Also, we'll be sending it out with our show notes that we send out. So if you don't want to go hunting for it, jump onto our website, sign up for our show notes and Sandy sends those every time we do a new episode and she'll have a link to it. So Hopefully our listeners can get it either way. Really looking forward to it. So we've got some homework to do.
0: Yeah. Yes. Great. <laughs> Thank you, Patty.
2: It's a pleasure. Now do your homework, you two. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Hi life reframers. Did you enjoy our episode today? If so, please leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. Also check us out on all our social media avenues via reframeyourlife.ca.